Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to give me the wisdom to share this historical presentation that uh, each one of us will understand this message, which is very serious. And give me the Holy Spirit to present this in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the uh, second angel's message is one of the most serious messages there is in the scriptures. Here it is. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because he made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Revelation 14, verse 8. And the way that I will present this is from a biblical perspective. From the beginning of the Bible, how Babylon there was received later on. And then in the New Testament, because the shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament is very significant. The literal significance in the Old Testament becomes then spiritual. And that affects many, 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 many persons. So let us first look here on Babylon of the Old Testament. And for the first time that we come in contact with Babylon is after the flood. God's plan for human beings after Noah's flood. You remember what it was? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 9, verse 1. So it, the earth needs to be filled with people. And yes, that was God's plan. Now, what was the condition of the earth, the world, after the flood? One language for all. Now, perhaps today we would say that would be nice. All the same language, everybody speaking English, and we will have no problems. <laughs> but it didn't work like that. And so, uh, God says, fill the earth, spread the earth. And then the reaction was a rebellion of a group of people. And they said, let us build a city, a tower whose top reaches in heaven, the heavens. So we will not be scattered over the whole earth. That is Genesis 11, verse 1 to 4. And so they built there this tower. This was rebellion against God's will. God said... Fill the whole earth. And what was the reaction? No. We will build a city where we can all stay here. And so now God reacted. Because any kind of rebellion against God will receive its consequences. And so God's response? Confusion of the one single language and the result was the scattering confusion of the languages and the result people stopped building a city and scattered all over the earth verse 7 and 8 <clears throat> can you imagine you're building a tower 
And then you need some more concrete or mortar. He says, hey, give me some mortar. And then the guy said, what do you mean? I don't understand in another language. So how long will the power continue to be built? It stopped because they couldn't understand one another. And so then those of each language group and scattered all over the earth as God had commanded. So no matter what human race does, if God says something and it doesn't work out in the human race, sooner or later it will work out as God has intended to be. Here is the ancient world of the Chaldeans. You see here on your left the Mediterranean, there the Persian Gulf, the Caspian Sea. There you find the two major rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris River. And according to archaeologists, the Tower of Babel was basically there between the two rivers. And then later on, when the city of Babylon was built, uh, the, the line of support was that the Euphrates River went in the midst of Babylon. And that was the support that they needed. It was a city that was so strong that nobody worried even that it would be, be conquered because they had all the supply for many, many years. And so Babylon felt very comfortable. Later on in the Bible, Babel, the Tower of Babel, was expanded to Babylon. And this refers to the country and city of Babylon with its false religions that oppose the true religion of the Bible. Ancient Babylon in, ba ancient Babel, Babel in Babylon. Here you see then the remnants of Babel, the Tower of Babel, which was not certainly not going into heaven because they wanted to build it into heaven so that if there is another flood, they could escape. That was futile thinking. And so here you see then the city of Babylon on both sides of the Euphrates, there in the circle in the middle there, the remnants of the Tower of Babel. Babel then became Babylon. The name Babylon is derived from Babel and signifies confusion. That is in the first level. But if you go deeper, this confusion was the result of rebellion. And this rebellion was basically a defiance of the true God. And so this defiance brought enmity and war. The enemy of God. And so in the Old Testament, the major enemy against God and God's people was Babylon. And so if you go to the New Testament, it's the same but it is spiritual Babylon. Babylon's wars against God's people. And you can see here in Jeremiah uh, the terrible war, and that was also prophesied. Babylon conquers God's people. And here you see then the destruction of Jerusalem. And at the same time what you see there is that the people are being taken captive. And again, this was, again, because of the rebellion 
of God's people. Babylon takes God's people captive. And the vessels from God's temple, the sacred vessels, were carried into the Babylonian temples to clearly indicate that our God, our Babylonian God, is a true God, God Marduk, and will certainly get the victory over the Israelite God. Here are the golden vessels that were then placed in the pagan temples. And Babylonian captivity was a punishment of 70 years. And in uh, one of the Psalms, it shows you the tragic sin situation. The Bible says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, and when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. That was a very, very tragic thing. And a whole nation, can you imagine, a whole nation is being transported. Then the captives come through the Ishtar gate and uh, they show there their pride and superiority. Here you can see them from the north going through the Ishtar gate. And uh, if anybody has ever gone to Berlin in Germany, there you can see the remnants of the Ishtar gate. Beautiful mosaics. Here you see then the Ishtar gate through which the captives came. And uh, one of the dominant motives was the lion. The lion you see also in the prophecy of Daniel 7, the first animal representing Babylon. And it was the pride and superiority because that was the nation that basically conquered the then known civilized world. Here you see then an artist reproduction of the Tower of Babel as it was uh, after in the Old Testament. But again, the superiority and pride was there. Then you see the magnificent hanging gardens of Babylon. The queen there uh, didn't like the deserted area of the desert of Babylon, and so she requested of the king to have gardens. And so he allowed her to have gardens flourishing on the top of the roofs of the temples and the palaces. Then, in Daniel chapter 4, you see the Nebuchadnezzar looks over Babylon and says in his pride and superiority, is this not the Babylon that I have built? There's nobody greater than I. And so you see that in Daniel 4 that God punished him. He says, okay, because you think that your greatness is because of your greatness and not mine. You will be like an animal for seven years. You will eat grass. And that was the punishment that Nebuchadnezzar got. But fortunately for him, at the end, he recognized the true God of the world and he got converted. It led him to deep repentance. And uh, he gave a whole degree 
to give power and glory to the God of Israel. However, the next generations didn't accept this anymore. And here you see in Daniel 5, the fall of ancient Babylon. Here is Belshazzar. He had again the defiance against the God of Israel. And what did he do? In his boldness, he calls for the golden temple cups, the sacred golden temple cups. And what did he do? He fills them with wine and drinks them with his concubines and wives and rulers. They drink the wine of Babylon. They had nothing to fear because Babylon was invincible. But suddenly, a bloodless hand announced the fall of Babylon. Many, many take over sin. And as a result, that was the fall of Babylon. What happened is the Persians, the Medo-Persians that surrounded the city had a nice plan. The plan that nobody else thought of except the Persians. And they diverted the river the Euphrates. And as a result of the diversion, the, the river the Euphrates dried up. And at night, there they came. Through the dried up river the Euphrates. You can see them. And of course, that was the evening and the night when there was a great feast given by Belshazzar to honor the gods of the Babylonians and how the gods of the Babylonians were superior to any other gods. That was Belshazzar's last night. And there, Cyrus from the Persians entered through the dry riverbed and conquered the city. The city of Babylon is well known for its false religions. The god of Marduk opposed the true religion of the Bible, Little Babylon. Little Babylon had a false religion and became the persecuting power of God's people in the Old Testament. You find it clearly presented there. <clears throat> so now, we got some principles in the Old Testament. What about Babylon of the New Testament? Here Babylon is. In the New Testament, spiritual Babylon symbolizes many false religions that perverted the Bible. <coughs> Revelation 17, there you find Babylon is represented as a woman. And what kind of a woman? The woman is revealed in the New Testament in prophecy as the church. And in Revelation 17, you find there the immoral woman. <coughs> in Revelation 12, you find there the pure woman standing on the moon, covered in the glory of the sun, and Satan is trying to destroy her. The immoral woman is seen in prophecy as an apostate church. The pure woman is here the pure church. And so in 
the book of Revelation, you find a struggle going on. A struggle between the pure church and the apostate church. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. I like people who always come to my help. Thank you so much. And so here then, the pure woman is shown as the Lord's bride. The Lord, the bridegroom. And the Lord said, I am married unto you. Jeremiah 3, verse 14. And so there it is a beautiful thing. However, in Revelation 17, the unfaithful church is portrayed as a harlot. Just like in the Old Testament, like in the New Testament. And the prophet, the prophet James, in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4 says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? And whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so what happens now with the impure woman, the impure She is in love with the world. And this is the key to the downfall of the church as Babylon. The false church, the immoral woman, has also a gospel. But the gospel is easier and therefore a large percentage of humanity follows this because she presents salvation in sin. As long as you go to confession, as long as you go to your pastors, as long as you tell you you will not do it again, you will be saved. But again, the same sins will be committed the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And as long as you do a confession and penance, it's okay with you. The true gospel says you are not saved in your sin while sinning. No, you are saved from sin. Isn't it a difference? It's amazing. If you ask some of your friends, some Protestant friends, what happens if you die today? Will you go to heaven? You know what may often the, the, the response is? Oh, I, I'm not that bad, you know. I do good things to other people. I help people. You see the point? It is what I have done. And I, in comparison to others, am not that bad. So I'm sure that heaven will be open. But I forget that the Bible says, through Jesus' words, repent and be baptized. And as a result of the confusion that Babylon gives in the world, many people don't know that the true way to salvation. They don't know it. And they hope that that is the good way, but it is the broad and way that leads to destruction. And so here then, Babylon in the history of the church. And as a church historian, I always like to show the prophecies and the fulfillment in the course of the Christian history. And it's really amazing what history reveals. And you can take any book on church history, 
uh, that can tell you this. I'm not telling anything secret. It's well known. But the question is, how did the Christian church become corrupt? How? To make the acceptance of the Christian faith easier by the pagans, the church began to adopt slowly some of the practices of the pagan religions. They lowered the threshold of becoming Christians. The Apostle Paul declares that even in his day, the mystery of iniquity does already at work. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verse 7. And it continues till Christ's return. Now it's interesting in regard to the mystery of iniquity in the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians. Many Christians today are looking in the future. One day it will come. And then we are in trouble. The Antichrist. What does Paul tell you? It's already there. So you can see here in the development of the mystery of iniquity and how salvation is obtained already in the early church. And it continues and it gets worse and worse and worse. How did it corrupt it? During the lives of the apostles, the church remained comparatively pure. And I have read many of the early Christian uh, church fathers. You know, it's not too bad, not ideal, but not too bad. One historian wrote as follows. Towards the latter end of the second century, most of the churches assumed a new form. The first simplicity disappears. As the old disciples retire to their graves, their children, along with new converts, slowly departed from the simple teachings and practices of the church. This is in Ecclesiastes research by Robert Robinson, a church historian, on page 51. And he continues here on page 278. As the Christian religion secured the favor and support of secular rulers, it was minimally, nominally accepted by multitudes but while in appearance Christians, many remained in substance pagans, especially worshipping in secret their idols. And here you see one of the pagan religions, Mithraism, that was a great uh, enemy from Christianity. The god of Mithras was also seen as the sun god, and the pagans kept Sunday as a special day of worship. Uh, you may not know it, but December 25 was the birthday of the god of Mithras. And so in the Roman Empire in the first 400 years, there was a powerful struggle between Christianity and Mithraism. New doctrines were developed from a combination of pagan traditions and Bible teachings. That began with Emperor Constantine the Great in the 4th century and continued throughout history. So if you see the history of Christian teachings, you see then over the centuries there's a change. A change. Very, very slow, because if it would be quickly, it would not be accepted. It would be seen as falsehood. But no, very, very good. Every hundred years, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. 
And, uh, and so today, after 2,000 years, you wouldn't even recognize some of the churches and the practice and the liturgy in comparison to the church of Jesus in the early church. <clears throat> Here's Constantine. Babylon becomes the church united with the state. That is very, very dangerous. Many Christians compromised with the world. Babylon is charged with the sin of unlawful connection with what? The kings of the earth. Revelation 17 verse 2. It was by departure from the Lord and alliance with the heathen that the Jewish church became a harlot. And Rome, corrupting herself in like manner by seeking the support of worldly powers, received like condemnation. Then, when do we get the fall of Babylon? What causes the fall of Babylon? And we have seen in our text, here of the second angel's message, it is the wine of her fornication. And fornication is the unbiblical alliance between the church and state. The wine she presents to the world are her false teachings that she has developed as a result of her connection with the rulers of the earth. You know, I mean, if you are fellowshipping with the secular rulers, what does it do to your teachings? You have to compromise in order to get the support. Friendship with the world has corrupted her faith. And in turn, she has a corrupting influence upon the world by teaching doctrines which are opposed to the plainest statements of the Bible. But, because of the change of the doctrines, it became easier for the pagans to accept Christianity. The effect of Babylon's wine. You know, in the Old Testament, it created intoxication. In the New Testament era also. Why is Babylon so successful? Why does it attract the masses of the world? The world is intoxicated with the wine of her false doctrines that teaches that people can be saved by their own works of performing certain rituals instead of through repentance and faith of the, in the free grace and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Saved in their sin without true conversion. And as a result, many are so confused about eternal life that they do not know how to repent, which is a basic requirement for salvation. That's the teaching of Jesus. Repent and be baptized and you will be saved. Babylon persecutes then God's people again. John the Revelator declared, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Babylon is further declared to be that great city 
which reigneth over the kings of the earth. In Revelation 17, verse 4 to 6 and 18. Every year, if you're interested in it, I organize uh, tours of the Christian history. That is, in prophecy tours throughout Europe. And then when we go into Rome, and we go to the Vatican City, and the Vatican Museum, then you have a whole group of rooms. It's called the Secret Archives. Beautiful paintings all around. And what do you see there? You see the Pope on his throne, and kings and queens kneeling before the Pope, paying money, and then they are being ordained to be the king of England, the king of France, the king all everywhere. But who is the most powerful one? The Pope, sitting on the throne. Incredible, incredible. You have to see it, otherwise you wouldn't believe it. But that is what it takes place. <clears throat> the authority that for so many centuries maintained cruel sway over the kingdoms of Christendom is Rome. No other power could be so identified as drunken with the blood of the saints as the Roman Catholic Church, which has so brutally persecuted God's faithful people for more than a thousand years. You know, we used to call it, the Protestant would call the, the period, what we call now Middle Ages, we call it the Dark Ages. Because it was darkness, spiritual darkness, and persecution, and the Inquisition. And conservative figures indicated perhaps 50 million Christians were persecuted. If I take you to southern France, the Albigenses, or Qatars today, were completely wiped out because of the Crusades. Very, very sad. Bloody persecutions. What is now the Protestant Reformation to restore the truth of the Bible? The bloody persecutions of the Bible-believing Christians led to a powerful protest that brought the Reformation. The Reformers protested that the Bible and not human traditions is the word of God. Their clarion call was that the Bible and the Bible only should be the standard for the Christian. It was the mission of the Reformation to present to the world the word of God. And they were very successful at the time. And then, what about the contribution of the Reformers? It began already in the time of Wycliffe. He called it, and, and all those individuals that they present now were clergymen in the Roman Catholic Church. Not outside of the church because there was only one religion in, in Europe, in Christendom. And Wycliffe said the papacy is the Antichrist, the man of sin and the little horn of Daniel 7. The Bible, therefore, must be translated in the language of the people because at that time, what was offered? The Latin Vulgate. And only if you are educated in Latin, you could understand it. And there were no other translations authorized. And so the people were, had to depend on the words of the priests and the bishops and the archbishops. But they had no access to the word of God. Very, very sad. Here, a contribution of the reformers. 
Those are also Catholic priests, John Huss and Jerome. And they died on the stake. Because of what? They said the papacy is the Antichrist, the great harlot of Revelation, and the preaching must be in the common language of the people. And so that is what they did. And they ended their life at the stake. Contribution of the reformers. Here is Martin Luther. Martin Luther says the Bible and the Bible only is a standard of judgment for the Christians. Later on, if you stand before Christ in judgment, your only appeal can be to the Bible. That's the only way. Salvation and justification are through faith in Christ only, not through works. Here you find a page, a pen drawing in Luther's Bible. Luther was the one who translated the Bible into German. And on that, in that pen drawing, you see a woman sitting on the beast, scarlet beast, and has a tiara on her head. Tiara was at that time the symbol of the Pope. So you can see here how Luther's Bible was promoted, even through pictures. Martin Luther, he said, as Babylon held Israel captive in the Old Testament, now the papacy was holding Christians into bondage by her own theology. You have to go to Mass. You have to do this. You have to do that. And, and you have to pay much money. And then you may be out of purgatory. What is purgatory? A figment of the imagination doesn't even exist. And the Pope is very antichrist. Contribution of Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli. He refers to the papacy as the anti-Christian. And then he says the Bible. The Bible as the word of God is the only sufficient infallible rule. It is sufficient for salvation. You don't need to have other books. It is infallible. You can believe it. You don't need to read books about the Bible, how to interpret it. He says, it must be its own interpreter. If you have any question, read, start reading the Bible. And then, ask for the Holy Spirit, and he will help you to understand the Scriptures. Very simple. So in other words, the Bible is for everyone. And not only for the clergy or the theologians. And everyone who asks God he or she will find the right truth. He refers to the papacy as anti-Christian. Then, here were the Anabaptists. Those are the forefathers of the Baptists. They were willing, against the rule of the church and the state, to stand with, with the Bible, what the Bible literally says about baptism. Here you see a picture from Switzerland. What happened is that those who wanted to be baptized by immersion, according to the Bible, what happened then? They were bound with ropes and were thrown in the river so that they were baptized eternally. Sad story. Contribution of the Reformers, John Calvin, 
he called the Pope the man of sin and referred to him as Antichrist. He was the God who stated that Christians are to live to the glory of God with the Bible as a standard. And he wrote the, the Christian institutions, which was a kind of a systematic the, uh, theology on the belief of the reformers. Very nicely uh, written, very easily to be understood. And everything is the glory of God. So what was now the reaction of the Roman Catholic Church to the Reformation? What did they do? The Council of Trent was called, and it lasted for three years, from 1563 to 1565. And that decreed that the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church has equal authority as that of the Bible. And in practice that meant, really, that the tradition was above the Bible. Because if they didn't understand the text, what did they do? They consulted the tradition. It cursed, that council cursed the teachings of Protestants on the Bible, salvation, justification, sanctification, and Christ's righteousness. They were anathema, cursed, cursed. Now you may say that is 500 years ago. Second Vatican Council from 1962 to 1965 confirmed the correctness of the Council of Trent. This is evidence, friends, that Rome's doctrines remain the same. Rome's teachings never change. Oh yes, they are much more friendly, they are much more approachable. They even call Protestants separated brethren. They need to come back to what? To the Mother Church. But the truth is with the Mother Church. So you can see here that nothing has changed. And so what was now the reaction of the Protestant Church to the Roman Catholic Church in the Reformation when they saw that all their teachings were cursed? As a result of the rejection and cursing of the biblical teachings of the Reformers by the Council of Trent, Protestants considered that the Roman Catholic Church, being now Babylon, had fallen. And now Protestants were to call God's people out of Babylon. <clears throat> now what has Babylon now to do with the declining of the church? Because there was a decline of the church after the Reformation. Unfortunately, the high standard of salvation and lifestyle of the Protestant reformers was not followed by further generations. In the succeeding generations, centuries, after the death of the reformers, there was a gradual decline of the Protestant faith. Instead of studying the Bible for further light, the descendants of the reformers focused on the creeds and doctrines of the 16th century reformers they did not progress in light. They said, oh yes, there were major controversies. That, and if there was a controversy, they would say, hey, what did Calvin tell us? What did Swingley tell us? What did Luther tell us? And they stayed with their teachings. And there were major controversies from the 17th century, the 18th and 19th century about what the pioneers 
believed. Instead of going back and saying, okay, what does the Bible say? And that is a very, very tragic thing. <coughs> These descendants blindly followed the creeds of their fathers. They were not willing to accept any further truth and departed from the reformers' opposition to the worldly lifestyle. <coughs> Consequently, worldliness came into the church that carried with the, the customs and practices. This spirit of worldliness entered the churches throughout the Christian world. Now, when Christ saw the decline of the Protestant Reformation and the spirit of the Reformation, with prophecy he tries to revive the Protestant Reformation. If you read in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, verse 12, then you see that in the last days there are some special signs of Christ's coming. And that stimulated and revived the Protestant Reformation. Prophetic signs show that Christ's return is near. Notice the sequence in opening the sixth seal in Revelation 6, verse 12, 13, and Revelation 11. What does it say here? Before Jesus comes, you get a great earthquake, the sun turns to darkness, and the moon will little to give its light, and the stars fall from heaven. Those are the three signs that Christ has predicted. And then after this, you get the second advent. So what did Christians at the time? And if you don't believe it, in fact, I have here with me, a, uh, and you can still buy the book. Here is a book. 1,200 pages long about the revival that came as a result of those signs. It's called The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers by Leroy Froome. And it is an absolute fantastic book. And uh, the whole development of prophetic interpretation you find there. So what did we see first? And that was recognized by the Christians as a sign the 1755 earthquake of Lisbon that created a tremendous tsunami and parts of North Africa were being destroyed. It was noticed all over Europe and even in the United States and the Caribbean. And it is recognized as one of the greatest earthquakes ever to come. Then in the Western Hemisphere, in 1780, there was a supernatural darkness that could not be explained and uh, in the middle of the day for a long time. And then you get the French Revolution in Revelation 11 that ended the papist second secular power in 1798. Now it's interesting 
that people say, yeah, but you know, today the Catholic Church has changed. Uh, it doesn't p- persecute anymore. This was the event. The papacy was taken captive by a general of Napoleon and transported into exile in France. And as a result, the secular power of the papacy was completely abolished. And that is the reason why the Pope cannot do whatever he wants to get back the territory that he lost. Again, it is all described here by uh, contemporaries. Then in 1833, the falling of the stars, the greatest meteoric shower of 60,000 meteors per hour took place at the time. Still considered the greatest falling of the stars. This was all during the study of reform because the result was a great revival of studying Bible prophecy. People were curious. Now Jesus will come. The rise of the second great awakening and the great Advent movement in the early part of the 19th century brought further light on Christ's soon return. His final heavenly sanctuary ministry in the time of the end and the three angels' messages that we now present. This was developed and discovered in the 19th century. Again, some accepted this light, others rejected it. What about Babylon's daughters? How does this decline of the Protestant churches relate to Babylon? Revelation 17 gives the answer. According to the Protestant reformers, in Revelation, Babylon symbolizes the Roman Catholic Church, which is said to be the mother of harlots. Revelation 17, verse 5. That's interesting, isn't it? That woman is the mother of harlots. What does it mean? The question remains, who are her daughters? Her daughters must have inherited the practices of her mother. This means Babylon's daughters symbolizes churches that follow her doctrines and traditions and sacrifice the truth and the approval of God in order to form an an unlawful alliance with the world. And this is where you see many churches today worshiping together with the Catholic Church and say, okay, ecumenism, this is the answer. And then we are all together the same. Remember, it is the mother of harlots. Today, instead of living by the Bible and the Bible only, many Christians base their profession of faith upon creeds and doctrines of the churches rather than on the Bible. Thus, in appearance, they follow the footsteps of the church, Roman Catholic Church. Friends, after this lecture, you may ask yourself the question, what do I believe? Do I believe the creeds of my church or are the creeds of my church supported by the Bible? That's the question. The result of the decline of the spirit of true Protestantism was that the Reformers' Reformation stagnated. In the beginning, Protestants did much to restore the purity of the church, the gospel. But the restoration of Bible truth, 
that was corrupted was not complete. Although the reformers did much to remove many of the errors of the Roman Catholic Church, there were more errors to be eliminated. Unfortunately, by keeping close to the insights of the pioneers of the Reformation, Christians did not continue the cleansing and purification of their beliefs to restore their churches to the purity of the New Testament Church of Christ and the Apostles. Friends, that is our standard. And so we need to continue the reformation that was started by the reformers. The fall of Babylon is progressive. The message of Revelation 14 announcing the fall of Babylon must apply to churches that were once pure and have become corrupt. Since this message follows the hour of God's judgment warning of the first angel's message, it must refer to the time of the end. This means that Babylon's fall cannot be confined to the Roman Catholic Church alone, for that church has been in a fallen condition since she rejected the restoration, restoration of the light of the Bible during the Reformation. Furthermore, Revelation 18, verse 4, the people of God are called upon to come out of Babylon. So according to this scripture, many of God's people must still be in Babylon. But isn't it beautiful that, of God, that God says, hey, my people, you are in the confused state of the world, of the churches, come out. See, that, is, that shows you God's love and concern. God doesn't want to have anybody lost. Therefore, this message is given. Those are love letters. Even if the terminology doesn't look so appetizing, God warns us. In the Old Testament, we see the fall of the ancient city of Babylon. This event is a lesson for us to see why Babylon fall. It was because the people rebelled and neglected the light that God has given them. A similar experience leads to the fall of spiritual Babylon. The light from the Bible that reveals the truth for the Christian has been neglected. The result has been that spiritual darkness has become on Christianity. The Protestant Reformation was used by God to bring Christians back to the Bible as the Word of God. And this is what we have to continue. However, centuries later, many have neglected to continue the spirit of the Reformation. And today we see the sad results of a stagnated Reformation in many churches that fail to live by the Bible and the Bible only. It's always the Bible and something else. The Bible and something else. But in the judgment, the something else doesn't help you. May those lectures that we present here be a stimulus for some of you to study again, to capture the spirit of the Reformation. Say, what does the Bible say? And do I live according to the Bible? 
continued rejection of light. In the 19th century, the churches experienced a further decline in consequence of their refusal to accept the prophetic light. But their fall was not complete. During the last 60 years, there has been a dramatic decline of religion. See, this is one of the surveys in our country of religion and people that are going to church. And more and more churches have become empty. Why? Because the power of the gospel of Christ has not been presented. And if the true power of the gospel is not being presented, people are not attracted to it. Since the 19th century, higher criticism ended many churches that undermined the truth, the trust of the Bible. Many, many books have been produced about the mistakes of the Bible, the falsehood of the Bible, and we need to revise the Bible. But friends, it's still the light of the Bible against all those people that are saying the Bible isn't good. If you truly experience the power of the gospel in your life, no matter what people say, it will not affect you because you have experienced it. You gain the victory over addictions, over sin, and you can only praise God and Jesus Christ because it is not your power but God's power that changes you. Evolutionary views entered into many churches and rejected creationism. And as these churches have continued to reject the special truth for this time, they have fallen lower and lower. However, here's the good news. Not yet, however, it can be said that Babylon is fallen because not all nations in the world are affected by her. The spirit of world conformity and indifference to God's truth for our time exists and has been a gaining ground in the churches of Protestant faith in all the countries of Christendom. These churches are included in a solemn and terrible denunciation of the second angel. But the work of apostasy has not yet reached its culmination. Today, unbelievable, we see that even homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, and transgenderism have become accepted in a growing number of churches. Even ministers practicing these lifestyles are accepted in spite of the condemnation by the Bible. We are approaching a time where the lifestyles of Sodom and Gomorrah are accepted in a growing number of churches. Very, very sad. Here is the final deception. The Bible reveals that before the return of Christ, Satan will work with, quote, all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. And they that receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved will be left to receive a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 
verses 9 to 11. See here the key, friends. If you don't have a love for the truth, what will happen? You will become a victim of the deception. In Revelation 13, friends, I cannot stress this more often. The whole world follows after the beast. You believe that? Read your Bible. How can this be? Because God's people and everybody else does not have the love for the truth. And it's the love of the truth, the love of Jesus Christ, who hang on the cross for you. He gave his love, he gave his life for you. Why not accept this? If you don't accept his death for sin, you will be receiving the second death. And you will suffer under the last seven last plagues, which are terrible. Today, in Revelation 18.4, more and more Christians see now the importance of God's final call to his people who are in Babylon to come out of her. And I can stand here. I was in Babylon. I enjoyed the world. It sung and do all kinds of revelries. But God got through to me. And when I saw what was going to happen on the world and how few people are realizing, he said, Lord, and I was an aeronautical engineer making good money. I stepped out in faith and gave myself to the Lord. And as a result, from that time on, in my 20s, I have been preaching this good message internationally, everywhere. And I can praise God that people have responded. Friends, this is your future. And not your end. God's last warning of message. This message is the last that will ever be given to the world and will accomplish its prophetic mission. Just before Christ's return, there will be only two groups of people. Those who accept Jesus' admonition to watch and pray and follow the prophetic light to prepare for his coming and those that believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are the two groups of people. <clears throat> Therefore, friends, the call is let us receive Jesus prophetic light for the last days. They will rejoice in the light of truth that will shine upon all those whose hearts are open to receive it and to listen to the call come out of my people. Friends, how to come out of Babylon? Don't believe me. Go to the Bible. You know, when Paul preaches, everybody was teaching the was checking if it was according to the word of God. And so don't believe me. Go and study it. Study the book of Revelation. And I hope that those lectures have inspired you from now on to study the book of Revelation, to study the book of Daniel, and to be prepared when Jesus comes. For those who don't know, 
he comes as a thief of the night. And they will be officially tremendously surprised. But God's people know it can be prepared. Friends, ask the Lord to give you the love for the truth. And remember what the truth will do? It will set you free. From what? From sin. From corruption. And prepare you to enter into a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Who would like to pray that the Lord will give you a love for the truth and ask for the Holy Spirit? Can I see hands? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have seen the hands reach to heaven for the desire to know you more and to be prepared when Jesus comes. Oh, Father, we thank you for your love and care that you have provided this insight to us. We are not worthy to be your children because we sinned and we fall many times flat on our face. But we are so appreciative of the light that you have given us. Your mercy and patience with us. And so bless those who reach out to heaven and may soon they walk in the fullness of light that comes from your word. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.